my, my name is Satemangali, the founder and creator of the Prosperity Revolution, a global movement that helps you to get out of scarcity and into prosperity every single day. A movement where people have value, things do not, where money is a result of helping people, where you're rewarded for creating value for others, and where prosperity is not the result of luck, but, but, but of predictable steps and formulas, and, and where happiness is, is the ultimate goal. I want to welcome everyone here to Your Daily Revolution. Today, I have a special guest with me again, as I have typically all the podcasts I do are myself, but today I've got a special brother, a hero, a colleague, a mentor, someone who truly has overcome adversity and now is a beacon of light. Let me introduce to you my brother, Jeff Griffin. Jeff, how are you today, man? Oh man, I am doing fantastic. Every time, every time I'm around you, I light up. I light up. Let me tell you, I don't know if you ever like, you know, played with fire in, in a, in a, in a uh, campground before and, and it's nice and bright and the stick's bright and you pull your stick out of the fire and it glows and not that great, but then you bring it back in and just, that's what happens when I get with you. It feels like I'm putting my stick back into the fire and it just, I just love being around you, my friend. Thank you so much. I feel the same way with you because you light up everyone's like when I first met you. And I'm so excited for our listeners to hear this. When I first met you, I'm like, who is this dude in a wheelchair who doesn't stop smiling, who is happy beyond happy? Like, okay, this dude's got a story. And then you started to tell me your story. So I want to say thank you for being here. Our listeners are in for an incredible treat. If you are a person who is facing adversity or has faced something that's altered your life in a completely different way where maybe you become bitter, hard-hearted, just cold, and you're like, you don't want to feel that way. I've got the perfect speaker, the perfect person for you. And he is my brother, my guest on the podcast today. So look, without any further ado, Jeff, I want you just to start because our listeners need to know who you are. So like, take us back to pre-wheelchair, during wheelchair. And again, I'm just going to ask a bunch of questions, but the time is yours. <laughs> okay, absolutely, my friend. And uh, I like it. He's like, pre-wheelchair. So I'm like, so you want me to take you, you know, before I was this good looking, <laughs> I know you can't see me on the podcast or anything like that, but, uh, I, I always like this. I was, when I was, when I was younger, a young man, every time I saw a, a guy on a bullet bike, there was a girl on back and I'm like, ah, I need a bullet bike. And somebody called me out on like, Griff, you don't want a bullet bike to just ride a bullet bike. You want a bullet bike because you want the ladies. And I'm like, you're right. Cause I envisioned in small print that it said, girls included, as I purchased this, this bullet bike. When I was younger, I always looked outward for the solution. I always looked outward that uh, the reason why life was so good for other people is because, you know, they grew up in a different neighborhood or they had just different circumstances. And I always thought that guys could pick up on the ladies easier because they had a bullet bike. But it wasn't until I got in a wheelchair because in my mind, I'm thinking, mm, the chicks dig the wheels. But as soon as I got on, you know, I got hurt and I was in the wheelchair, I realized that the chicks do dig the wheels. And, uh, and so I wasn't always in a chair, wasn't always uh, 4'7". In fact, I went from 6'1 to 4'7 um, overnight from an, from an accident that took place. But, um, you know, bef before, I, before I share a little bit about that, that adversity and before I share some, some insights that I believe that can help anybody pick themselves back up if they feel like, their world has been shattered or taken away from them. 
Well, uh, yeah. To, so, because I I don't even know if I've heard the, the full story in depth and, and detail. And I would love for myself as well as those, those who are listening to this to get the full story in depth and detail. So, what happened? I mean, like, how did you end up in the wheelchair? To walk us through the entire experience. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I'm going to take you even a even a further back if I can. When I was a little yeah, kid, yeah, please, yeah, take us right? back, take us back. Um, because I, like I mentioned before, I, I went from six one to four seven, and I saw things differently, figuratively and literally, to where my perspective has changed. And I always thought, you know, that that uh, that different was always better, but better is always different. And and so if we want to make things better, we're going to have to look at things different. And, and I've been able to, to see things different, but it wasn't always the same there. And what's interesting, Satema, is so many of us don't know what we want. So many of us don't know what we want. And, and, and it will make some sense once I, once I share this with you, because when I fell 40 feet from that barn, everything that I had created, everything that I had built, everything that I was striving for was taken away from me and stripped just like that. My world came crashing down. My identity was stripped away from me. And I'm like, okay, now what? What do I do? And, and fortunately for me, um, I've had some experiences early on that kind of helped prepare me for this moment, this moment where I'm lying down next to an unpainted barn because that's what I did in between football seasons. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't that great of a football player. Well, I can't say I wasn't as great as a football player as you because I never got to that point. But I know that you're a world champion, my friend. But we were recruited by the same, the same dude, Lavelle yeah. Edwards. Oh, that's amazing. That's Lavelle awesome. Edwards. And so when I was a little kid, September, I wanted to be a football player. And I'm like, I told somebody in my dream one time, I'm like, hey, I want to be a football player. It sang in my soul. I, don't, I carried a football with me everywhere I went. You know, I, I played it in the springtime, in the summertime, in the wintertime as well, on the road, because that was the easiest to get, you know, to get through the snow and whatnot. And when I couldn't play on Sundays, I'd go downstairs in my basement and I would play it in my mind. And I remember telling somebody one time that I wanted to play football. And they're like, dude, you can't do that. You can't do that. And they gave me all the reasons why they couldn't. They're like, you're too short. You're too slow. You're too white. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I got that. And, and uh, that word, I can't. I didn't realize it at the time, so young, but that word I can't is debilitating. It's poisonous. It's limiting. And it keeps us from, from really doing what we're capable of doing. And so, again, I'm just, I'm just dropping some seeds here because for your listeners, as I share this story along the way, because hopefully it will, it will take root in their heart. Hopefully it will take root and, and it will sprout and they'll be able to take some things because I know that there's people out there right now, September, that have been just destroyed with this psychological tsunami that has just coursed through our country and is destroying businesses, destroying marriages, destroying individuals, um, because I believe what's between our ears. So, so you said something, I 100% agreed, right? What's between our ears, the way we think, how we see everything that we do. So you said something, you said that everything you wanted, right, your identity, right, like, again, football, athletics, active, healthy, happy. What was your identity? Like, what was it that you were wanting aside from football before you fell? Like, what, what was that? Like, 
because you you said it in a way you were like, hey, look, you know, everything that you think you want, like it changes completely. What was what else were you wanting besides football? You know what? For for a young man, really, that was that was it. That was my desire. That was I ate, slept, and drank football. That because when I was a little kid, and maybe it was a little bit more than that. And, and if I if I were to be honest with it, with myself and with everyone else, you know, you know, one time I. I told myself that I wanted to be infamous because I thought that meant really famous. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I put it out there. I'm like, I want to be infamous. And it wasn't until I saw like the three amigos that I realized infamous is not the word that, not that the I word want to want. use. Right. And, and, and so I wanted to play on the big stage. I just wanted to be recognized. And, 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 and so for me, one way to be recognized was to play football. And because I loved to do it. I loved it. And that's what I envisioned doing was just playing um, there down there at BYU. And, and so when people told me you can't do it, I didn't realize this. And so the reason why I'm going back to where I was, because these things, these flecks of gold, these nuggets that I discovered along my path up until this point where I was able to play two downs in college, I got to experience what it would be like. To be on the football, to be on the football field, to be at the stadium, not just to be in the stadium and in the stands, but, and not just to be on the sideline, which I think most of us are playing right now. A lot of us are, are spectators hoping to be on the sideline, but not willing to do those, the work to get to the sideline. And then I realized that there's still another step along the way that I'm on the sidelines and I've got a Jersey on my back, but I still got to go a little bit further, a little bit more. And it's the small things at this point that make the biggest difference. And, and I, finally, I finally got on the field. I tasted the sweetness of success. I played two downs. And so what I, what I didn't realize to Tim early on is, you know what? The naysayers, the critics, the people that are out there are always going to be there. And who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to the critics? Or are you going to listen to, you know, that, that song, the music that's inside your soul? And, and for me, fortunately, the music was louder than the critics. And I get it because sometimes the critics – um, are, are very persuasive and powerful, especially if the greatest critic is you yourself. Yeah, what, what, what was the voice of your critic, like yourself, or even some of the outside influences telling you at the time? What were they telling you? I mean, what, was, what were they saying? Well, like I mentioned before, like you're too short, you're too slow, and you're too white. You're not good enough is what it is. And what I've learned is most people base your possibilities on their limitations. Yeah. But what's interesting is as soon as you start to allow other people's limitations start to creep in, you start to believe them as well. And, and, and so I'm like, yeah, maybe I am too short. Maybe I am too slow. Maybe I am, you know, too white. Well, why do you think that is? Why do you think people project their limitations on you? Because I'm, I'm clear that sometimes our critics are people that are close to us. Mm-hmm. Or there, there may be family members, people in the community, people in our uh, religion or people in our church, people in our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Even when it's, again, yourself who's a critic, why do people project their limitations on you when you're striving for big dreams? Because I know people out there today, people have dreams. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, a, I'm in my mid-40s and I've got some big goals and big, massive ambition and dreams and just ambitious dream, just massive. Why do people do that? 
Yeah, that's a, a great question. And, and I've had the opportunity to, to work with some of the harshest critics out there called teenagers for 16 to 20 <laughs> years. But, I, but, also, but once I, but once I uh, you know, left the, the classroom and started to work with executives and, and adults, I realized that adults are just teenagers who haven't figured it out or are still trying they're, to figure it out. They're adults with facial hair, <laughs> with bodies that have like kind of matured, but they're yeah. still, we're still all immature in some way, sh uh, way, shape, or form. So you're defying the critics, right? You define the odds. Tell me about the two downs you got to play. Let me hear about that. Yeah, the, the, the two downs, right? And, and I learned something, a, valuable, a very valuable lesson. And um, I forget what year you were, the, you were there, but uh, I don't know if you remember Ben Cahoon. Oh, I love Ben. A good friend of mine. He's one of the best. He's one of the best. Canada's number one player of all time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Cahoon's amazing. He, he should have been one of the NFL best, too. He was Wes Welker and... Uh, yeah, and, 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 and Amendola. Yeah, yeah. He was Wes Welker, Amendola. Yeah, he was... Cahoon's amazing. Yeah, and he was amazing. And so, so I was recruited by Lavelle Edwards, right? I came home from, from, uh, from, from senior practice, from practice my senior year, and received this, this, this letter from Lavelle Edwards. And I opened it up, and there was a letter inviting me, the short, slow, white guy, to come play for the legendary Hall of Fame coach, Lavelle Edwards. I was so excited and so stoked. But when I went and talked to him and Coach Pella, I decided the best thing for me was to go up to Rick's College. And so that's where I came. That's where I, did, that's where I was able to experience um, those, two those two downs was up there at Rick's College. And, and Ben Cahoon was the captain, one of the captains there. And what was interesting is I don't know why we dressed because I was on the scrub team. They put me on the scrub team, and that just played with my psyche there because I thought I was, I was better than that. But I'm on the scrub team. They let the scrub players show up on game day. And I show up on game day, you know, and, and we get to go through the warm-ups and whatnot and get to be down on the sidelines. But you know as well as I do that scrub players don't get in unless one of two reasons. We're killing or we're getting killed. Yep. The first and second, <laughs> the second and third, you know, team uh, players get in there as well. And so we, were, we, we went undefeated that year, and we were killing – and the coach came up and down the sidelines like, hey, whoever wants to get in the, in the uh, game, let your coach know. Well, my coach happened to be the head coach, quarterback and receivers coach. And so I went up to him, hey, I'm ready to play. He looks at me up and down. He's like, no, not you. And so I'm like pulling out the heart, the dagger in my heart and thinking, ah, it must be the scrub of all scrubs, the bottom of the scrub barrel. And I'm standing there, but I'm rooting on my teammates saying, you know what, this is awesome. We've been, we've been battling against the first team defense every day and now my teammates get to get in there and play and, and then I learned a valuable lesson I learned that every great man and woman of history Satema is a man of service when the captains could have sat on the sideline and just taken their shoulder pads off and did what they wanted to do Ben Cahoon went up and down the sideline making sure his teammates didn't matter if they're first team second team third team scrub team that if you wanted to play to get in there. And he came up to me. He's like, Hey, Griff, do you want, I'm like, yeah, coach, don't worry about coach. I'll deal with him. So I go running in there and my fan club in the stand just goes crazy. Like <laughs> my two roommates, right? That was my fan club. <laughs> I love it. My two roommates, I go running out there and I'm holding hands and I'm, I'm on the field. I'm, I'm taking it in. I'm smelling it. I'm looking around and I'm just imagining myself what this would be like on a, day, you know, week to week basis, a play to play basis where I get to experience what this is like. And I learned that in order to be leaders of success and successful leaders, there are certain things that we need to do. And I think one of those keystone 
things as a leader is to find ways to serve. And so, uh, so we went out there, broke the huddle, came back out. My fan club was going crazy. They're cheering me on. We're, we're marching down the field. And then, and then Ben's like, get back in there. I'm like, all right. So I go running out there and, then, and my roommates start chanting, Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. And we're on the six yard line. And I'm thinking to myself, this is a perfect opportunity to do a pass play. I'm like, we've practiced this thousands of times in practice where I just do a little six yard hitch. I'm like, I'm going to score a touchdown. I'm thinking to myself, this is it. This is my moment. And I've been preparing for this moment. And I always tell people that when the moment to perform has arrived, the moment for preparation has passed. I'm not, I'm, I'm not preparing for this moment. It is here. And they just tapped me on the shoulder. So I'm holding hands with my teammates. The running back comes in with the call. And of course he called his own number. It was a run play. And the quarterback gets underneath there, under the center, hikes the ball, hands off to the, the, the running back, running back up the center, touchdown, game over. Two plays. Two plays is, is, is all I got to experience. And so I was excited to come back the next year and have my moment, to have my first team experience of what it would be like. But um, it didn't happen. I, I never did make it back, Satema. And that's, and that's where we find ourselves right there where I'm lying on my back next to an unpainted barn in Idaho where I'd just fallen 40 feet. Before we talk about that, I want to address something here. Please. You know, there's people out there who, who have dreams and goals. Like you, dude, I, I love, like I have chills thinking about your two plays because I have, I have those same dreams and goals. And a lot of people, they think they've got time. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I to, I'll do this later. I'll mm -hmm. go do it later or someday. And, you know, in our language, someday is code for never. Yep. If it's not today, it's never happening. Mm -hmm. So uh, I love that you had a chance to experience that. Like you went, and, and you, you talk about being on the scrub team. I was on the scrub team my freshman year. I was a, right, 210-pound guy going against a guy by the name of Eli Herring, who was a beast at BYU, yeah. like, he didn't go to the NFL because he chose not to. He would have probably been a first or second round draft pick. He was that good. And I was a scrub for an entire year. Mm -hmm. And like Cahoon was for you, there were guys who were there for me. And I'm bringing this up because I love that you, you acknowledged that you had the chance to get in and you were there, like you had prepared and you got in. Some people never even get in the game. Some people never even show up to practice because they're so afraid. So if you're listening to this and you have a dream or you have something you wanna do, you, you have something you feel called to do. Don't wait, stop. Waiting, stop procrastinating. I mean, Jeff, anything else you want to share on this? Just this topic of not waiting. Like you did it, two plays, and like that was, you had the chance. Yeah, and and for me, fortunately for me, I, I've had some experiences to to help me along the way. But as you mentioned, I really do believe that uh, if we if we don't do today what we can do today, and if we put off tomorrow what we can do today, we'll end up with a bunch of empty yesterdays. Powerful. Like that's, it's powerful and piercing because empty yesterdays, empty yesterdays. Guys, again, you know, 
the podcast, Your Daily Revolution, the, the Prosperity Revolution movement is about living your greatest life. It is about you taking control no matter the circumstances. Or there's an acronym I call ROCKS, regardless of circumstance and situation. ROCKS, right? Regardless of of whether you're not the most talented, regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of the home you were raised in, regardless of the, your surroundings, you have the power to alter your world. So Jeff, you got the two plays in and then, then again, you, you jumped right to, hey, you're laying on your back. What happened? <laughs> Where were you? What were you doing that led to this? Yeah, so, so I don't care what they tell you, they don't pay enough money to play football in college, right? <laughs> no. no. And, and in fact, there's some people who are, no are paying to play football and going to school. There's Those guys, man, hats off, hats off to them because that they, they are, they are just so, they are so passionate about what they're doing and what they want to do. And, and, and again, two things come to my mind that as, as you were talking about this, about you got to take advantage of today. You got to take advantage of today because if you put off, tomorrow, what you can do today, you're going to end up with a bunch of empty yesterdays. And you asked me a question a while ago and all of a sudden just the answer came. You're like, Griff, why do people not chase their dreams? Why do people, you know, why are they critical? I, I, and coming back to this very thing that you talked about, I think we're afraid to fail. And we've associated the opposite of success with failure. And so we're like, you know what, shoot, I want to be successful. So if I want to be successful, I can't fail. But if I fail, then I'm not successful. And then, I'm, and then I made a fool of myself. What's interesting is people got to understand that the process is in the failing. And, 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 uh, and so if you're, if you're afraid to fail, get over it. Because no one I've met who have succeeded hasn't failed their way to success. I believe that we're all, when's the last time you've done something and didn't fail? especially the first time you did it. You might've got lucky the first time, but can you consistently duplicate that? And I always tell people, like, listen, give yourself permission to fail because failures at first are triumphs at last as long as you just don't quit. As long as you keep on going, as long as you keep on fighting, as long as you take one step in front of the next step. If you continue to move forward, you're eventually gonna get there if you never give up. And, but the problem is people don't even start because they're paralyzed with that fear of failure. I don't wanna fail, but guess what? Fail with glory. You're not going to learn something unless you practice, unless you do it. But if you don't want to fail miserably and have everything just destroyed, find somebody who can help you, that can help give you a hand up. Not a hand out, but a hand up. Find somebody that can, can you know, navigate some of the pitfalls and some of the other things that you don't have to experience miserably. And so for me personally, I, I'm in between seasons. I'm like, okay, what can I do to earn a little money here? What can I do so I can just go back and focus on football? And I'm like, well, I went and worked for somebody for like $7 an hour. I'm like, that's not worth my time. I can do the same thing and build my own business. And so I started my own business where I was like three times in the income that I was working for somebody else back then. What was the right? business you started? So the business was painting, not pictures, but buildings. I'm like, I know how to paint. I'm a good painter. My dad was a teacher, a high school teacher. And so he had to have jobs during the summer. And, and, and for like five to seven years, my dad taught me the ropes. And so I started my own business and business was booming. And I, and I was so close to having enough money to go back to school and to get that bullet bike. 
<laughs> the bullet bike. I uh, know. I'm telling you, the ladies dig the wheels, and so I got a I got a beard. I'm from Cache Valley, up there where you know Utah State is, where they breed them to hate them down south. And like, why do you guys want to go to BYU? And I'm like, because they throw the ball, and they win. And uh, and so I'm in Cache Valley. I get a phone call from Napoleon Dynamite Country in Preston, Idaho, to do to do a bit on a barn. So three days later and $3,000 richer, I'd have enough money to, to go back to school and get my bike. And so I get up in the morning, put the equipment in the back of my truck, head up, pick up my buddy. We head up to, to Idaho. We hit the Utah-Idaho border and there's road construction. There's bumper to bumper traffic. And I'm thinking to myself, there's this many people in Idaho? But we were able to talk about the important things to at least a bunch of young men, right? Football, girls, and bungee jumping. I was going to go bungee jumping that, that night for a young adult activity. I'd never been before. And I was excited. And so we finally get to the job site and I wanted to get the tall parts of the barn first. And so I pull out the scaffolding. I have one level of scaffolding. Then I have a 30 foot ladder and I lean up against the barn, not even close to the top. And so take the ladder down. Now we have two levels of scaffolding here, September. And then I hoist the 30 foot ladder up on top of that and close to the top, but I figured my sprayer could do the job. I asked my buddy to get up on the scaffolding and hold the ladder. I didn't know he's afraid of heights. He's only up couple of feet, I don't know, 16 feet, 15 feet. And he's shaking, the ladder's rattling. And I'm thinking to myself, maybe you shouldn't be up here, but what could go wrong? You know, sometimes we think that we're indestructive, that uh, we're invincible, that we don't have to follow precaution. Especially when we're that age. Like when, uh, right. when you're those teenager, early 20s, early 30s, like I, I get it, right? I, so, okay, keep going, man. I'm like, you, you got me reeled into the story. Now what? So I'm climbing up the ladder and halfway up the ladder, I'm like, all of a sudden it hit me. I'm like, I call them divine downloads, you know, life lessons outside of the classroom. And I, and I, I yelled out to my buddy. I'm like, hey, Doug, we can relate this to life step by step, precept upon precept. He's like, shut up, Griff, stop preaching to me. <laughs> I'm like, okay, sorry. I get to the top and I lift my hand above my head and I pull down that lever and the paint just dribbles out. The pressure wasn't on. So I get back down on the ground. <sighs> My buddy's able to breathe for the first time. I go adjust the sprayer, make sure that it works. Get back up on the scaffolding and I lift the ladder one notch higher so I wouldn't have to come back down and I'd before I finished the top parts of the barn. So I start climbing up the ladder. My, my buddy yells up to me. He's like, hey, Griff, I, I want to remind you how excited you are to go bungee jumping tonight, but I, I want to remind you that you don't have a cord. To get back at him, I'm like, shut up, Doug, stop preaching to me. You know, a little bantering between, uh, between buddies. This time I got to the top. This time I could reach. This time I was not going to come back down until the job was finished. So I lift my arm above my head and I pull down that, about to pull down that lever when that infamous feeling that you guys have all felt in grade school where you're leaning back on your chair and your teacher tells you not to lean back on your chair and you're thinking what could go wrong and either you go back or you almost go back in your stomach up to your mouth and down to your legs and settles in your stomach again. I felt that feeling and I dropped the sprayer and I'm like, oh, shoot. I think I said shoot. Let's just say I said shoot. <laughs> and as the scaffolding and ladder slipped out from underneath me, I started to crumble down below in a big pile of scrap metal down below of the top of the barn with some loft doors. And there's one inch gap. And I jammed my thumb into there to try to hold on. It just pulled my thumb out and flayed the top part of my thumb off. And as I'm going down, I'm like, I do not want to be a part of that, uh, that pile down below. And so at the bottom of the loft doors was a one inch ledge. 
that was my only safety valve right there. I don't know if anyone has ever felt that way in life, or perhaps maybe you've created this foundation and it slipped out from underneath you and now you're in desperation mode, right? And, and, and you're like, oh, I don't want to be a part of this mess because of poor planning. And there's this, there's this one inch ledge and I reach out to that ledge and grab onto that ledge and I'm just holding on in my mind. I'm thinking I can hold on long enough to where my buddy can put the scaffolding back up and lift the ladder up next to me and I can get back down. That was my thought process. I was digging in my fingers, but because of the pull of gravity and the weight of my body, it caused my fingers to pop off the ledge, not my hands. There's probably some listeners like, Holy crap. (laughs) He's got star Wars hands. No, these are my original fingers. But my fingers popped off and I'm going down. And in last ditch desperation, I just start scrambling. Start clawing, I would try to claw my way back to the top. I don't remember doing that so much as knowing that I did. When I examined my wounds in the hospital, I noticed there were paint chips and wood splinters jammed underneath my fingernails. And so here I am trying to problem solve in like 1.2 seconds. I think it is from 40 seconds when I was in physics in college, I tried to, 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 um, find out how long that was. So here I am trying to problem solve the situation. So the next thought that came to my mind was stop, drop, and roll. Now I know it's a fire drill. I didn't land on my head, but I, but I same concept. I'm going to stop. I'm going to drop. I'm going to roll. I had practiced it hundreds of times on the trampoline as my brother sent me sailing into the air. And as they come down, break my, break my fall and roll. But as soon as I thought that I, I looked, I, I looked down to the ground to determine where the ground was so I could break my fall. And as soon as I looked down, I hit straight legged. Perfect landing if I was a gymnast. I wasn't, I was a painter. And so my legs came up, my back came down, and my L1 vertebrae exploded inside me. And as I crumbled to the ground, it felt like an underground cavernous explosion had taken place where it just coursed down my body, down my legs, down my arms, down my, out my fingertips and toes. And the pain was so excruciating, I reached down to alleviate the pain by grabbing onto it. My hand could feel my legs, but my legs could not feel my hands. You can imagine. There I was. I've fallen 40 feet. My dreams of playing football, instantly. Riding a motorcycle with a lady on back, gone, done, shattered. I didn't know exactly what had happened to my back at that time, but I knew it was pretty serious. Couldn't move couldn't turn over, couldn't feel. I learned a powerful lesson that day, Satema, which I, I want all your listeners to know. And this is the lesson that I learned while I was lying on my back next to the unpainted barn in Idaho. I just fallen 40 feet. I had, I had personally constructed the scaffolding and the base that I was using to work. I learned for myself that cutting corners leads nowhere but down. And how many times have we been cutting corners our whole life? How many times are we cutting corners so we can get the quick buck? How many times are we cutting corners to get what we want right now instead of what we need now and forever? I, don't get me wrong. I believe, I believe that you can find some shortcuts to get there quicker to alleviate some of the pitfalls. But when we cut corners, it leads nowhere but down. And, and I cut some corners. You know, looking back, hindsight's 2020. looking back, I'm like, man, if I would've just spent 60 bucks on a lift, it would've been, it would've been a different story. Man, if I would've done this, 
And, um, and, and so I've learned that planning, planning is essential. If you fail to plan, then plan to fail. And that's one thing that, uh, one of those lessons that I have just, you know, I believe sometimes some of the greatest heartbreaks and some of the greatest setbacks and some of the greatest challenges are some of your greatest catalysts for success. If you use them to learn from them. And I've learned so many lessons in that, in that moment and in that day um, there in Idaho that, uh, that for me, I'm like, listen, how am I building my foundation? What am I building my foundation on? What am I doing consistently and constantly on a daily basis? I call them holy habits and righteous routines. What are those holy habits and righteous routines that I can do on a consistent daily basis to where, guess what? My foundation is solid. Bring it on. There's a lot of people right now in this crisis that's happening right now that they have built a foundation. They're like, you know what? This is awesome. This is amazing. I'm getting ready for this to just to be open and wide open for me so I can, it can spring more, springboard me to the next level, maybe even five to 10 levels because of what they've had been doing all along. So often, so many people are like, ah, I got to start right now. I got to start today. No, when the moment to perform has arrived, the moment for preparation has passed. And so that, I think, I think it's a Chinese proverb that says the best time to plant a tree is 10 years ago. And the second best time to plant a tree is today. And so if you haven't been planting and if you haven't been preparing and if you haven't been building, what can you do today to make the next 10 years your best years? And unfortunately for me, I, you know, I had the opportunity to sift through my broken back and shattered dreams and discover some flecks of gold that helped me get to that point to where I was able to taste the sweetness of success. I got to experience what it would be like to be on the first team, to be on the field. And, and, and so often, Satema, we pass by these flecks of gold looking for the gold nuggets. But if we gather up these flecks of gold along the way and we start collecting them, we're going to have a bag full of gold. So powerful, man. Just like, I'm just captivated here. That's why I'm so quiet because I'm just, I can feel it. I can see it. I'm in this story with you, which is so true. And when you're talking about the, these nuggets and this building a foundation and, and collecting the nuggets so that in the, right, the, the daily downloads or the direct downloads from the heavens and these life lessons. Like for those listening right now, like you're, you're hearing something, you're seeing something, you're feeling something. And one of the biggest things I said, it's when there's a lot, but you know, when we cut corners, the only way we go, we, we, we go down. Like it doesn't lead to you moving ahead. It moves to you, it leads you to going down. This is your daily revolution. Live in prosperity, we show you how to do it. There's no luck about it, we got the strategic blueprint. This is the your daily revolution. You already know. And if you don't, then check my resume. Turning pressure into possibilities every day. We all can win and live our unique purpose. We change our mindsets and put the work in. This is the your daily revolution. Daily revolution. Revolution, your daily revolution podcast. Ah.